We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide, lead us, show us what you would want us to see from this section of scriptures. And we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 5. I'm going to read 12 just to get the context of it. Uh, We've been looking at Jeremiah telling the people that you say that God is not going to judge. He's not going to care. He's not going to see. And that's where we're at on this point in time. Verse 12. They have belied the Lord and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. And the prophets shall shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from afar, uh, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you know not, neither understand what they say. Their quiver is as an open sepulcher, and they are all mighty men. They eat up their harvest, they will eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and your daughters should eat, and they shall eat up the flocks of your herds, and shall eat up the vines of your fig trees, and they shall impoverish your fenced cities, wherein you trust with the sword." Nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a full end of with you. So we're going to stop there. So here God is telling the people, you're saying that you can sin without having consequences. God says there's consequences. And I kind of think about our day and age, all the people that are wanting to sin and saying there's no consequences for sin. I can do whatever I want to do, and it doesn't matter. There's nothing that anybody can do or say or care about. And I can almost picture God saying the same thing to our country. You think this is true? Here, here's the consequences that are coming your way. Uh, he says, verse 13, And the prophets shall become wind, and the, and the word is not in them. For thus it shall be done unto them. How many prophets in Jeremiah's day were false prophets? Saying what the kings wanted to hear, um, preaching what was good, and we have this even happening in our day and age. We have not so much known as uh, prophets, but pastors and teachers that are telling people what they want to hear rather than God's word. We had the prosperity gospel being taught by so many quote-unquote Christian churches. You know, give give God and he will multiply back to you. Uh, you know, and if you're not if you're not if you're not doing well off, you haven't been generous enough to God. And then we have people saying, "Well, there is no right and wrong." We have people that are denying the the, the creation story, the resurrection story, everything about the Bible that is supernatural. They deny, and God is saying they have become as wind. And this is a very dangerous place to be in when you're there, because if there's not people speaking the word of God to draw repentance, to draw people back to God, then there will be a consequence. God will move. In the days of Noah, people did what they wanted to do. They did what was you know, evil in their imagination. And apparently in Noah's day, the only one speaking against them was Noah. And how many times do we have, even in our world, that it is very few people that are speaking out against evil? And it's kind of a scary thing because we have pastors who won't call sin, sin. We have pastors that won't say the judgments that are falling on this world are from God. 
They're just falling right in line with the rest of the world. Well, we're just having bad weather. You know, man has caused famine. God, man is causing all these heat waves. Man is somehow, you know, I'm waiting for them to say man's causing these earthquakes and tornadoes and, and tsunamis and everything. I'm sure that's going to be the next thing that happens. And on one side, yes, they're right. Man is causing all of this, but it's man's sin that God is bringing judgment on. So, but not the way they mean it. And so here we see him, him saying, there, because their words are nothing but wind, God says, I will make my words in your mouth fire and this people wood, and it shall devour them. God will speak. And he will take what little righteous people there are and make them speak for them and cause fire. And you think about this. Even though we're losing the culture war as Christians, what would this culture be like if it wasn't for churches and good, honest pastors and teachers and Christians standing up and saying what you're doing is wrong? How bad would this world be? Well, the world will find out during the tribulation period when there is nobody really speaking out against what was go is going on. But, you know, we think about this and, you know, it's kind of sad that we're, we seem to be losing the culture war. But by the same token, how bad would it be if we weren't there saying this is wrong, putting up walls and, and making them slow down? We're running headlong into to total disobedience with God. How bad would it be if there wasn't people saying, uh, stop, you're, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> this is not good. And... We're seeing it, and it is actually getting faster, and we're watching it. Things that are happening in this day and age that we'd have never thought would happen. You know, it took generations for homosexuality to be accepted, and what happened as soon as homosexuality pretty much got accepted? Uh, transgenderism and this whole new idea that comes out of gender fluidity. You can be whatever you want on any day that you want to be. You know, I want to be male today, female tomorrow, and something, and neither the next day. <laughs> And then that, that is accepted by this world. And, you know, how bad it has become is people are separating themselves from God's standard and then making up their own rules. And then because they're the ones that get to make up the rules, any rule applies. And we look at it and we look at the results of this, you know, that is going on right now. You know, and the, all the problems that are occurring because of all of this. And we see that God's word, and it almost really is a fire. If you speak the truth to people, you want to start a war in, in some groups, in some, in some instance, go in there and speak God's truth. Say that homosexuality is a sin, fornication is a sin, living together is a sin, and boy, you can, you can end up having a fire going on. And this is what happens. God says, okay, I'm going to make my words, my words are coming. And my words are going to burn people up when they're spoken. And, you know, it's one of those things that I have to be very careful at the job where I work. Because I am surrounded by people who really believe that there is no absolute right and wrong. And it's not my job to try to correct them, but, you know, but it's hard sometimes. I oftentimes say things that get me and, you know, get people mad at me. Because there are certain departments in that place that are very, very liberal. And they believe all of these things are good. And we have to be very careful as we're walking in there to say, this is what God says. This is truth. And truth will cause a firestorm in today's world. 
when everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes, and you speak truth, and what are they, what's their first attack is? Who are you to say that, there, that there's a truth? Well, I'm not giving you my truth. I'm giving you God's truth. But if you want to cause a problem, speak God's truth to people. Even in some churches, you speak God's truth and you cause a, fire, cause a firestorm. But this is where he's saying, my words will cause, be as fire and devour, devour people. And this is something that, you know, Jesus said, you think I came to bring unity? I came to bring a sword. Jesus even told us that when we get saved, there is going to be issues that come up out of this. Families get separated initially. You know, people look at that person who's saved and going, well, who are you? You know, you think you're better than me. And we see our families initially start separating until God starts bringing them back together as they get saved. And so these, this whole fire in their mouth. says, And then God says, I will bring a nation upon you from a Pharaoh house of Israel, a mighty nation, an ancient nation, a nation whose language you know not, neither understand what their ways. So he's talking about Israel. So this means Assyria was going to come in there. When he's talking to the southern kingdom later on, it's going to be Babylon coming in. And I wonder sometimes, is, is America due for a great fall and a conquering? And it probably is true. You know, we in America started out as a Christian nation. We followed God. We had great blessings from God because of our following God. And the farther we get from God, the more corrupt everything gets, the more corrupt our government is, the more corrupt the nation is, and the people are. And there will come a day, at some point, where America will fall and be conquered. You know, whether it will be from, from someplace like Russia or China, I don't know. Maybe Mexico will take us over. I don't know. <laughs> you know Mexico will rise up. <laughs> but, but this will come up into, and I'm kind of being facetious there, but, you know, it's still what can happen when you fall from, from a certain distance. Anything can happen. God can raise anybody up. Israel would have never expected to be conquered by Syria, Assyria. And Assyria just all of a sudden swept the world. And it was not a great kingdom, but it took up most of the Middle East. And then Babylon came along, and it conquered everything in the Middle East, all the way to Italy, India, up into the, the Balkans, and you know, took over a lot of things. And who had ever heard of Babylon before it started rising up? It came out of nowhere. Now, now Babylon had been around for a long time, but nobody really cared about Babylon for, for centuries, millennia. And then all of a sudden, it swept the world. And then along comes the Greeks. And uh, nobody in the Middle East had ever heard of the Greeks. Now, that was that little nation that you traded with a little bit over there. And but God raises up these enemies sometimes from nothing and uses them to become great nations and great conquerors. And here we're looking at Israel is being told, you're going to be conquered by a nation. You don't know their language. You don't know their ways. And I wonder, is America ripe for this kind of situation? And I'm not saying this applies to America, but I've, we're in a position where we're just like Israel was and Jerusalem and Judah was, rejecting God. And that rejection comes with a 
price. And we're going to see some price, probably, quite possibly in our generation, if not very shortly. You know, we are at that age where nation, where great empires fall and get replaced. It, two to 400 years, 500 years is about as long as any nation and empire stays in power. And we've been there. You know, we, we are at that point, we're right in the middle of that <laughs> fall point and we're rejecting God. And who will conquer us? I don't know. Will they just wipe us off the face of the earth? I don't know. Now, who knows what's gonna happen? But we're looking at a fall in this country because of our rejection of God. And everybody's gonna be doing just like this. Well, you know, why is this happening? We don't understand why this is happening. You know, we rejected God. No, we didn't reject God. You know, God doesn't exist. God's not going to judge us. All these things that we hear in our day and age, that there is no God, there is no God, they'll bring judgment, nothing will happen, nothing's going to happen. We're going to continue the way we've always continued. And over and over again, history keeps repeating itself. Now, many people go, well, history doesn't repeat itself. Yes, it does. It just doesn't, not the same exact way, but the same features lay up in, in, in place and you see some form of judgment upon them. Over and over again we see that same process. And we're looking at this coming down and he says there's going to be a nation and then it says their quiver is as an open sepulcher. They are a mighty, they are all mighty men. In other words, death is in their path. Sepulcher, graves. He goes, they are, their quiver is as an open sepulcher. They, they're, they are mighty in battle. They bring death. And this is something that you know, we're looking at. And what is the world really afraid of right now is we're looking at the potential possibilities of a third world war because of all the stuff that's going on. And when you know what happened to start World War I and World War II and you're seeing what's happening and lines are being drawn and and things are happening, you're going, we could easily fall into a third world war. What are people worried about? A nuclear holocaust, wiping out the world. Now as a Christian, I believe the Bible, so I know there won't be a nuclear holocaust. Why? Because Jesus has to have something to reign over at the end of the millennial, at the end of the tribulation period. Does that mean no nuclear weapons will be used? No, that doesn't mean none. It just won't, means that the whole world won't be wiped out by nuclear weapons. And I've been listening to different reports that really are kind of scary that America is behind on the delivery systems for nuclear weapons. Now, and I can picture us being wiped out by nuclear weapons with the delivery systems that are out there and not being able to retaliate. And that would fit into some of what scripture shows us. Judgment falling upon our country. Do I want that to happen? No. Can I see it happening? Yes. And we want to be able to understand death reigns when these things happen. When God brings judgment, death follows. And, you know, it's hard to say. You know, people go, well, you know, why would God do this? Because you're disobeying his rules. You know, and people go, why would God do it? He's not really doing it. He's allowing things to happen to bring judgment. Why did he bring... Well, it's funny that they'll blame God when everything bad happens, they'll blame God even though they don't believe in him in the first place. The world got so bad in Noah's day that the great deluge happened and wiped out the entire world. 
Sodom and Gomorrah and that valley got so bad that God said, okay, I am through with them. And he sent judgment and destroyed the entire valley. Over and over, God has said, uh, things are so bad that I'm taking them off the face of the earth. And he's made a promise to not wipe out the whole world again by, by the water. But he has oftentimes used other nations to bring judgment on other nations. And we see this over and over throughout history. And God is not done. God is not changed. When people get evil enough, he will bring judgment on them. Now, the sad thing is, sometimes he uses more evil people than, than the people that are being wiped out. Now, that was the, what happened to Israel. Babylon came in, and Babylon was an evil people, an evil nation, and they took out Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And, you know, it's one of Jeremiah's laments. He goes, God, how could you use these evil people to judge us? And there was no answer to that. God will use whatever tool he wants to use to bring judgment. Satan is used by God to bring judgment on people and also bring temptation. But it's so funny when you read the Bible and you look at how God is using Satan, allowing Satan, Satan has to ask for permission to do anything. Now, and that's kind of an amazing thing. He has to ask for permission to do anything and people think that Satan is all this really powerful enemy of God, and yet he's got to go to God and say, God, I, I really want to go after that person. And God oftentimes points that person out to them like he did Job. <laughs> and he says, yeah, I would love to go after Job, but you won't let me. Okay, you, you can do this. But Satan is used also to bring judgment, to allow judgment to fall and you know, it's going to be very interesting when we see things from the spiritual side and see how, how Satan had this leash upon him the whole time he was on, on this world. Cast down and, and had a leash on him. He's that dog that can only reach so far. And you know exactly how far that dog can go. You could stand right there at the edge of his leash and know that he can't get to you unless he put a longer leash on him. <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, I had a cat one time that used to torment my dog because it knew the dog hated the cat. And it would just sit on the other side of the fence, swishing its tail. Like, and I kept telling the cat, one of these days I'm going to let the dog out the fence. <laughs> uh, but that cat antagonized the dog. And this is, this is what happens when God finally says, enough is enough. And he says, okay, I'm lengthening the leash. Satan, you can now finish off that person you can now finish off this. And, and here they're seeing all of this thing. And then the, the part of this battle goes, they shall eat up your harvest and your bread and your sons and your, that you, which your sons and daughters should eat. And they shall eat up your flocks and your herds. And they shall eat up the vines and the fig trees and impoverish your fenced cities whereupon, whereupon you trust with the sword. Where do, thing, do people trust? Now, and I'm saying, even in America, where, what do people trust in? Their bank accounts, their 401ks, their homes, their possessions. And God is saying, you want to put your trust in these things? How easy they are to take away. Now, I feel sorry for anybody with a 401k that that was their trust in their future. Because right now, the 401ks in the stock market are tanking. Where is our trust? Is our trust in God? 
or is our trust in the stuff that we have? The trust in our government's retirement, the Social Security. But we're not seeing the behind the scenes like we did in Job. Job, we saw behind the scenes where God explained exactly what was going on in Job's life. Uh, all these other things, we see this where God says, you know, you trust in these things, I'll take them away from you. Job was trusting in his stuff as much as he was in God, and God needed to teach him a lesson. And he was a righteous man. God called him a righteous man. And he still wanted to teach him a lesson about where is your trust? What is your hope in? And, you know, this is something for us, especially as Americans, because we are spoiled as Americans, because, you know, if you remember a few years ago, they were always talking about the 1% need to pay their share. Well, on the world scale, every American, even some most of the poorest Americans, are in the top 1% in the richest people in the world. Where do we put our trust? Is our trust in God? Or is our trust in our income? Is our trust in our possessions? In our jobs? You know, how easy will it be? And right now, we are sitting in a place where we could lose jobs so easily because of COVID and all these other things that are going on. And all of a sudden, they just flip a switch and nobody's working. You know, and it could be that easy. What do we trust in? Is our trust in God? Or is our trust in our stuff? And here he says, you have your trust in your stuff. I'm taking it away. I'm taking away your food. I'm taking away all of this. And then I love verse 8. Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. This is God's promise to Israel. This is his promise to his children. Even when we disobey and we need to be judged and, and spanked or whatever term you want to use, disciplined, God says, I will not make a full end of you. Israel has never had a full end made of it. Now, it got kicked out of the land of, by the Assyrians. It got kicked out of the land by the Babylonians. It got kicked out of the land by the Romans. But they were never fully wiped out. Over and over again, they looked like they were going to be wiped out. And Satan is going to try to continue to wipe them out. Hitler tried to do it, which was Satan, Satan working through Hitler. Hitler. Hitler killed over three million of them, but he could not wipe them out. Nebuchadnezzar tried to kill them off. Uh, other people over the centuries have tried to kill them off. Why? We've explained this many times. Before Jesus came, they were trying, Satan wanted them to be wiped out so the Messiah could not come. Because the Messiah had to come from the line of David. So if he figured if he could kill off all the Jews, especially the, the, uh, the, the Judah, then he could get rid and the, Jesus would not have been able to be born. After Jesus was born, why is he still after the Jews? Because everything in the Revelation is about the Jews. They're going to have a temple. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish believers that are, are witnessing during that. And everything is about the Jews. So his goal is, again, get rid of the Jews. If I can get rid of the Jews, God didn't know what he's talking about. His prophecies can't come true. Therefore, he makes God a liar, and he can, he can try to bring God down. So his whole focus is on destroying the Jews. And we need to be able to understand what's going on around us. Now, his second most hated target is, we, is us Christians. 
because we have accepted Jesus Christ, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we're protected by God and, and as the variety of Christ. So we're his second hated group. The other religions, he doesn't care, they're his. All the false religions out there are his. He likes religious people. He likes it if he can get Christians to be religious rather than following God. Here, here's a whole bunch of rules. Try to please God. You know, you get so busy, wrapped up in your rules that you're not out there preaching and teaching and, and being an example to God of the grace of God, and he wins a victory. And there are, the churches are full of people that are not believers. They're following good works and just doing a lot of good things. And they're, they're on that side just like everybody else. If I do enough good things, when I stand before God, God's going to say, well done, come on in. That's not what the Bible tells us. God is going to tell those people who are depending on their works, uh, you're not perfect. Depart from me, I never knew you. And that's a key word. I never knew you. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion out there is that God does the work and we're in a relationship with the God of the universe who wants to have a relationship with us. Now, why he wants to have a relationship with us, that's something I don't understand, but he wants to have a relationship with us. And he says, I have forgiven you. I died on the cross so that you could be forgiven and be made perfect. And then he is then able to have a relationship with us, which is a very one-way relationship. He, we do everything wrong, and he gives us grace. What a, what a relationship. Because how many times in, in our relationships, so husband, wife, uh, even with friends, we get irritated with, our, with the person on the other side because they just don't do what we want them to do. You know, they're just not nice. They're just not doing the right things. They're not acting right. They're not doing what I want them to do. And we get irritated with them. And God keeps loving us, keeps giving us grace. Can you imagine if he was like we are? We'd be in trouble. At least I know I would be in trouble. Because yeah, I make enough mistakes to, to get him to say, I'm done with you, no more. But because we are in Christ and we are given that justification, he goes, okay, I'm, I see you different than you see yourself. And this is the beauty of it. The way God sees us is so different than the way we see ourselves. Because it is so easy for us to think, you know, anytime something bad, well, I deserve this, I'm so, you know, I messed up, I, I deserve anything I get. And most of the time, that's not what's happening in our life. Yes, there's some consequences once in a while. But we need to be able to understand, if I am the very best person that's ever walked on the face of the earth, I don't deserve God's love and attention any more than the, than the person who is really bad who has accepted Jesus Christ. Both of us only have what we have by grace. Now, it doesn't mean we go out and sin and do all the bad things, but it does tell us that I am no more special than anybody else. And the more we realize that, the better off we're going to be. Because we all tend to do this, you know, God, I really need you to move and, and work in my life, so what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get more active in the church. I'm going to get more active in the soup kitchens. I'm going to get more active in whatever because I want God to really bless me and I want him to see that I'm living for him. Now, there's nothing really wrong in any of that stuff. 
unless my motivation is that I'm trying to please God by it. Because all of that can be good. Reading my Bible is a wonderful thing. I have life in God's word. I am taught through what, how to live by his word. But if I'm reading his word to try to please him and get on his good side so that he'll give me some blessing, I'm doing it for the wrong thing. Now, if I want to go out and help these people and all these other things and I just want to minister to them, that's great. But if I'm doing it to try to win a bunch of brownie points, hey, God, you, did you see how many times I read my Bible this week? Did you see how many times I went out to the homeless shelter? Do you, you see how many times I gave away this stuff? God, did you see? Did you see? You know, I want some reward for this. And we're probably not going to be that bold, but isn't that what happens so often? You know, and I know I take some of the things out to the extreme, but really, when we do certain things, that's what is being said. God, just look at me. I, you know, I got all these little check marks. Uh, God, you, you kind of owe me. I did a lot of good things for you. you know, and if we really understood what's, what, what we're owed, you know, and I've said, we've said this so many times, I don't want what I, what I deserve. Because if I did, I'd be in hell. And I'd have been in hell a long time ago if I got what I deserved. And God's grace is so wonderful. And we see here that God says, I will not make a full end of you. There will be a remnant. Even after the rapture of the church, God says, now I'm going to go and bring the Jewish people back up and I'm going to bring some great leaders amongst them to be the remnant believers that are following me and they get to preach and lose their heads so all of that goes on verse 19 and it shall come to pass when you shall say wherefore does the Lord our God all these things unto us then shall you answer them like as you have forsaken me and served strange gods in your land so shall every shall you serve strangers in the land that is not yours why is all this happening and God says, because you forsook me. And I've seen this happen in people's lives over and over. They forsake God. And inevitably, they're going to complain, why is God allowing all this stuff to happen to me? It's like, you know, especially bad when they're, they don't even claim to be a Christian. But it's really bad when Christians, you know, people who claim the name of Christ who've then gone off and lived in sin, they're going to go, I don't understand why God's letting all this stuff happen to me. And then the world will do the same thing. You know, well, I don't know why God's letting so many bad things. Well, is that, is that the same God you said you didn't believe in last year? You know, now you're blaming God for the bad things? And this happens over and over that people blame God when bad things happen. They don't blame God. You know, they don't even believe in God when everything seems to be halfway okay. But as soon as bad things start happening, it's all God's fault. Yeah, and I think it's fun. I, I, I love to tease them about it, too. Is that the same God you didn't believe in last year when you were talking to me? You know, it, I thought you were an atheist. How could you be believe, blaming God now? You know, and it becomes very interesting the way people will react when things start falling apart. And they will really all of a sudden become, understand that they, there is a God. Because what does God say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And God will do things in their life that will make them start realizing that there must be a God. 
and open up their eyes. You know, and you know, I loved the book title, and, I, and it was quite an interesting book. You know, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You know, and I thought it was a great book. You know, you have to close your eyes to all truth to be an atheist. And people will go, well, you can't prove that there's a God. I beg to differ. Science pretty much proves that there has to be a supernatural. Now, does it prove God? Our God? Not necessarily. But once you accept that there has to be a supernatural, now you can go, okay, which of the supernatural beings is the one that you want to follow? And then ours becomes the, the best choice out of, out of it all. But people will go and blame God as soon as things get bad. You know, as soon as with all their good intentions don't work out, there had to be somebody against me because I, I, I had good intentions and I'm a good planner and nothing worked out, so there had to be somebody coming against me and it must be God. And all of a sudden, God becomes very real to them in a very negative way. They don't look at him as a loving God. They just look at him as a mean, nasty person that's not letting them do what they want to do. And isn't that the way most people look at the Bible even? God gives us a bunch of rules, and they go, well, the Bible is just a bunch of rules. And I love to go, okay, so what's wrong with these rules? Do you want people stealing from you? Well, no. Well, God says don't steal. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Do you want people lying to you? Well, not really. God says don't lie. Well, yeah, you know. What they're really saying is, I, I want these rules to apply to everybody but me. And that's what, the, what it boils down to. I don't want people stealing from me. I don't want them lying from me. I don't want them wanting what I want. But don't tell me I can't do the same thing. And they're really having to understand that what is good for the goose is good for the gander. Uh, you know, gander what's good for the gander is good for the goose. <laughs> Whatever that statement is, it, you know, it, it, if it's good for everybody else, it should be good for you. And too many people just want rules for other people, but don't make them apply to me. Uh, and we see it in government a lot of times. They make rules that don't apply to them and then wonder why everybody gets mad at them. And this is man's way of doing things. Don't give me rules that apply to me. Just you know, make those rules against, for everybody else, but I don't want to have to live by these rules. And all these things come down to this. Verse 20, Declare this to the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah. Hear now, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, and have ears and hear not. Fear you not me, saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence, which have, which have placed the sands for the bounds of the sea in a perpetual decree? and that it cannot pass, though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail, though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But this people have revolted, has a revolting and rebellious heart, they are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, that gives rain both the former and latter in his, in his season. He reserves unto us, the appointed weeks of harvest. So here he's saying, declare. There's going to be a judgment that falls. And he says, declare or publish this in Jacob, or the southern kingdom, and publish it in Judah. Hear now this, O foolish people and without understanding. 
people who do not acknowledge God, foolish and without understanding. It is an amazing thing when people start talking that don't know God, and you listen to them, and they express just how foolish they are. Some of them are very smart people that express how foolish they are, and they keep spouting nonsense. But because they have degrees and, ed and education, people listen to them. <laughs> now, we have very smart people that say there is no God, and then, then they will say things like, well, we know that everything looks like it has uh, a plan and a schedule, but we know that that's not true, so, that, so just ignore what you see. Uh, okay, you're a scientist. Aren't scientists supposed to observe and just make decisions on what they see? So we see everything being nicely coordinated and planned, but yet we're to ignore the fact that it's nicely organized and planned because it doesn't fit their agenda. We, we see this over and over in just about every topic out there. You know, they will tell you that we should not kill people, and yet they will murder babies and murder old people that are eating up the in inheritance of their family. You know, well, these kids are going to get in the way, so we'll murder them, but they're not kids. They're just a blob of tissue. Uh, and this person, well, they're, they're 96 years old, and they're really sick. We can't afford to be keeping them alive, so we'll just let them die before they eat up all the, the, you know, the inheritance of their kids. And yet they'll tell you that it's wrong to murder unless you're at either end of the spectrum. And we see this over and over again. You know, we'll hear people say, well, I really believe in marriage, but we've got to live together for a while and make sure that we're going to be compatible before we get married. How long are you going to live together? Well, at least 20 or 30 years, and then we'll decide maybe to get married. You know, that way, if it doesn't work out, we don't have to have problems getting out of this. And then you look at the statistics of those that live together are more likely to get divorced when they do finally get married than those who did not live together. And it's a really scary thing because the statistics and the numbers don't match up to what they're trying to, trying to prove. And over and over again, we get people that are making foolish decisions and have no wisdom. And God says, here, you people with foolish and wisdom, you have eyes that don't see, and you have ears that don't hear. And this is the funny thing. When you start talking to these type of people, you can make the best points in the world. You can make the best arguments out there. And it's like, did you hear? I didn't hear anything. What did you say? I don't agree with you at all. They see the truth and reject the truth. And this isn't talking about idols. It's usually the description toward idols. They have eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. These are the people that are so deceived that they no longer see or hear truth. Yeah. And most of us were like that before we became Christians. We did not see or understand or comprehend truth. And he says all of this. And he goes, don't you fear me, says the Lord? <laughs> fear me not? Don't you fear me, God says? And, you, and will you not tremble at my presence? I think about this. When I enter into the presence of God at various times when I'm worshiping, I'm reading the word, and I'm in God's presence, and I feel his holiness and his righteousness, 
I end up going, I am so undeserving of this, this event. What do we see when people are in the presence of an angel? Most of the time they fall flat down on their face you know, and can't handle it. And woe to you if you actually enter into the presence of God. You know, that just overwhelms you completely. And God is saying, even in my presence, these people do not tremble. They do not sense the awesomeness of God. You know, and this is something that is so amazing to me. I stand out and I look at the Milky Way. I look at the various glory of God and I'm going, God, this is so wonderful. And those who don't believe in God look, well, look what nature did. You know, I kind of wonder what they see sometimes when they look at these things. You know, they don't see God and they don't tremble at the presence of God. Now, I don't so much tremble at nature, but I do tremble at the presence of God at times when I've entered into his presence and it's like, whoa, the righteousness of God is so awesome and so inspiring. And he says, I, and I love this, he goes, you know, not at my presence, have, which has placed the sand for the bound of the sea, a perpetual degree, and it shall not pass, though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail, though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. Have you ever been at, out at a beach, watching the waves come across the beach? You know, the beach stops them. And if it's a big enough storm, they may temporarily get past the beach, but after the storm's passed, the beach is still there and the water is still on the other side of the beach. Doesn't matter how big it was, doesn't matter how far it surged in, when that storm is over, everything returns back to the beach and God says, I have marked, I have marked it. The river overflows and it returns back to, the, back to its, its bounds. And God says, that's me doing that. Because you, know, you really think about this. Why should the ocean stay in the ocean? Why doesn't it take over everything else? You know, if, it, if everything was the way people want to say, and there's no God, there's no control, why can't the, the ocean just keep coming in and in and in and in and in and, and take over the land? Why does a river have to stay within its boundaries? Now, yes, it, it can move around a little bit, you know, as it follows geography, but it's still going to stay within its bounds. And God says, I'm the one that has given the rules. I'm the one. Why does the sun, you know, burn, uh, burn up as, in the same speed over time? It's, it's combining the hydrogen into helium cells at a constant rate. Why does it not just consume all the hydrogen up in a heart, you know, at a very quick pace. God has put the rules in place for it so that it will burn up at the right time and not, not survive beyond it. And it says, but this people has a revolting heart. <laughs> kind of interesting in this stubborn is what it is in the, in the Hebrew. They have a stubborn heart. Israel has, was stubborn and a rebellious or contentious heart. And they have revolted and gone or turned aside. 
What is happening in America? The American people have turned away from God as a, as a nation, completely turned away from God. Many of the American churches have turned away from God. We have entire denominations, and it's really sad sometimes when you look at some of these denominations that started as great evangelical churches, preaching the gospel, doing evangelism, and now you look at them and they're accepting every form of sin and rejecting the word of God. And you look at them and they still call themselves Christians. And it's scary when we look around. And because people are now looking at it and say, well, this group of Christians over here, they don't have a problem. Why do you guys have a problem with it? Well, because we still believe God's word. They wanted to throw God's word away. That's up to them. And that's between them and God. But we're going to hold on to God's word. And we need to be able to understand that God's word is what's important. What does he say? This is going to be the only thing we can hold on to at some point. When God... When things get so bad and we're going to go, God, you said these things were going to happen, I have to stand with you. I have to declare sin to be sin and righteousness is righteousness and not let it overflow. And this is going to be hard and it's going to get harder. It is going to get harder to be able to declare what God says about sin. And I would just stick with fornication. Living together. How many people live together in this world and introduce themselves as husband and wife? There are many places where you don't even know they're not married until years later when they get convicted that they're, not, that they're living in sin. And they all of a sudden go, you know, uh, by the way, we need to get married. And I've seen this happen. Uh, what? You're not married? You, you've been in this church for 10 years and we all, everybody thought you were married? Well, that's what we told everybody. Yeah. And you're going, wow. <laughs> you know, what happens in this world when we start speaking the truth? It brings conviction. And conviction does one of two things. It either makes people turn to God or it makes them fight against that conviction. Unfortunately, the majority fight against conviction, <laughs> which is all about the book of Revelation when God brings all these judgments to bring people to him, the majority fight against God and his conviction that he brings. And it's true even in this day and age. The word of God goes out, conviction happens, and a very small minority respond. The rest get angry. How dare you Christians call me a sinner? How dare you make, say that I'm not, not a big good person? How dare you? And they come after you. And God understands this. He knows that that is what's going to happen. He knows that it is true. And you know, he says, I have set this boundary. They are rebellious. And then they say, neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that gives rain both in the former and latter. In his season, he reserves unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. God is the one that controls weather. Yeah. And this is hard for people to understand because we're going, well, no, this over here happens and this cloud comes and then this, this high pressure comes through and this happens and this happens. God is the one that put the rules in place. He is the one that allows 
these crazy storms that are crossing America as judgments to hit. Now, last week in Florida and uh, Texas, what was it? A hundred and some tornadoes responded by one storm. One storm. And that storm continued to pass tornadoes all the way across the United States. And people go, well, we don't understand why the weather's getting so bad. Uh, God is bringing judgment. God is saying, I want your attention. He's used storms all through the Bible. He has withheld rain when rain was supposed to be due for the, for the harvest. He did not, you know, and caused droughts. He's over and over again brought judgment through too much weather or too little weather. Over and over again, he's done that. He's used the animals to bring judgment. And I love it in the Old Testament. He talks about the animals being in the cities. And, I, and every time I read those things, I think about all the animal, wild animal reports in cities. You know, not just foxes, but you know, uh, lions and bears and all these things coming into the cities all around the country and the world. And you're going, God, are you bringing judgment upon us? just like you said you would in, in the old times? How many people recognize that? Probably very few because so few Christians even read the Old Testament to know what it says in the first place, to know that God used wild animals to bring judgment upon his people. And he put the animals right in their, right all around their towns and in their towns to bring judgment. He used the weather to bring judgment. He used other nations to bring judgment judgment. And we're seeing all of these things happening in America. God is moving against America because of how far we have fallen. And it's scary to see, and yet exciting to see, because God's got a plan. And he's going to take care of his people. All right, verse 25. Your iniquities have turned away from the, turned these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay in wait as he that sets snares. They set a trap, they catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Wherefore they are become great and wax rich. They are waxed fat, they shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause or the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper, and the, and the right of the needy do, do they not judge. Shall I not visit on, for these things, says the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? So here is the final words of this chapter. He goes, Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withheld or held back good things from you. In America, sin is withholding God's blessings. God is holding back. He says, okay, no, no blessings. And he's allowing greater and greater evil to, to have come about. And he says, for among my people are found wicked men. They lay in wait and they serve, they set snares and they set traps to catch men. 
This is really the sad thing because there's people who name the name of Christ, name God, and do evil. And this is really sad when we watch some of the televangelists and everything that are lining their pockets with gold and silver and have beautiful homes and, and everything and they're getting all these people to give, give to them and they're lining their pockets and not doing God's work or doing minimal amount of God's work. And this is something that's very important. You know, and it's, it's sad. I saw the other day that there are many, many pastors that are millionaires. And you know what? Most of them are in Africa. And they're fleecing their flocks as they live high on the hog while, while their churches have nothing. And you're going, they're doing things, they're setting snares, they're setting traps, and people are falling for them. You know, uh, I don't expect to ever become a millionaire being a pastor. I, I, I would maybe someday like to make a living at being a pastor, but I don't expect to be a millionaire. And he's saying these people are setting these traps. They've made themselves fat. They shine. Or they're like glass. They're shiny like glass. They're not, just, they're not shiny like a lamp. They're reflective. They shine and they overpass or ignore the deeds of the wicked. How many deeds of the wicked are being overlooked by the quote-unquote righteous. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't have enough to say. They might think I'm a fanatic. Well, you know what? I'd rather be a fanatic for God than a fanatic for anything else out there. I have seen a lot of fanatics for football, for work, for basketball. I've seen guys that dress like fools (laughs) to go to a game. You know, Pick your game, it doesn't really matter. Paint up and, and wear stupid clothing and, and, and they will make fun of us going to church. And they will look like a total idiot <laughs> going to their game, whatever game it might be. And this is what they're doing. It goes, they ignore all these things. They judge not the cause or the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper and the right of the needy do they not judge. This was David's problem in the psalm. Why do the heathen rage? Why, do, why does everybody look like they're doing so good? And that is the hardest thing for us sometimes as Christians. We honor God, we're obeying God, and we look at all these people that are cheating the system and, and doing everything wrong, and they look like they're getting everything. And this is the same thing here. You're not doing what I tell you to, and yet you seem to be getting rich. And the key to this is that in the long run, they don't. There is always a harvest at the end. And even those that are getting apparently rich, if you get to know them, most of them have a really hard time in their life. They know that they're doing wrong. They know that they don't deserve what they're getting. They're always worried that somebody else is going to find them out or, or rat them out or whatever it might be that they're, they're worried about. And they're very rarely do they have any joy and peace. 
Many of the rich do not have any joy and peace because they wonder, do people like me because I'm rich and I have lots of things and I can give them lots of things? Or do they like me? And then you got those who are living as an apparent rich person. They've got the big house and the nice car sitting in the, gar in the driveway and nothing inside the house because they can't afford anything inside the house. And this is a problem that goes out there. And it goes, shall I not visit for these things, says the Lord, shall my soul, shall not my soul be avenged on a nation as this? God says, I will bring judgment. God always will bring the judgment. We have a problem. We look at what's going on now and say, God, uh, how come they're not paying for what they're doing? And God says, it's not time. The day of reckoning is not yet. There will always be a day of reckoning. At the very least, there will be a day of reckoning at the white throne judgment. But most of them will have a day of reckoning in this lifetime if we get to know them long enough. Why do so many of the wealthy and everything get into, go into drug, drug rehab and, and uh, alcohol detox centers? Because they're not able to handle. There's a day of reckoning. And the problem is they don't recognize why they're facing that day of reckoning. They just say, well, my whole life fell apart. Uh, you know, riches didn't do it. Fame didn't do it. Now I'm paying for it. And he says, and I love this, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. A wonderful, here is actually an appalling uh, thing is happening. An appalling thing is happening in this nation. And God says, the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests bear faults, uh, bear rule by their own means. And my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? What is this horrible thing, an appalling thing that God is seeing? His own people are not holding up the standard of God or the ones that are by name his people. And this is the thing that really bothers me as I look around to all these churches that are not following the word of God, teaching the prosperity gospel, teaching, not teaching sin, not teaching on what God's standards are. And you're going, God calls this an appalling thing that there's no truth in the land. Now, I'm not going to say no truth, but little truth in the land. And I've been there. I've, been to, I've visited churches at times. And I'm going, where is this church coming from? <laughs> what Bible are they teaching from? Because there is no Bible being taught. And it is really sad that there are so many Christian churches where the Bible is not taught. Sin is not declared to be sin. God's mercy and grace is not taught to people. The gospel message of Jesus is twisted in such a way to draw people and draw crowds. And I'm not going to say that every large church is that way, but unfortunately a large percentage of these large churches have gotten away from the word of God and are not seeking God in all that they do. Many of them are feel-good messages, prosperity messages, Heaven helped them if they were to try to say that somebody was a sinner because people might leave their church. Yeah. And you look at what Jesus did. Over and over, Jesus would give a message and, and the people would all leave. 
Now, on at least one occasion, he looked at the disciples when all the people were leaving him, going, are you all going to leave me as well? Because he went from having thousands of people to practically nobody. Because he called sin, sin. He challenged people where they were at to follow God. And so over and over again, we see this. And there are so many churches in America and around the world that don't challenge people to follow God. And I hope we're always seeking to follow God in this church and saying, this is what we're to do. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, help us to stand strong for you. Help us to always see that you have standards and help us to want to live by those standards in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.